Hey, good morning. <clears throat> Hopefully, uh, so you, know, you guys had a good Christmas. Um, how have you spent it, whether it's with your own family at home or even with extended families? Um, you know, we are <clears throat> already, we are uh, in the last week of 2020. Um, this is the last Sunday, the last worship for this year, 2020. And, you know, this weekend we'll celebrate the, the new year. But I don't know about you. I'm sure many of you feel this. I know for sure some of you do. But maybe you're finishing this year kind of like not running, but more like crawling. You know, maybe you feel like you're just kind of barely making it past 2020. And, um, you know, you could use some hope. And maybe you're looking forward to a better year. I know I am. And uh, hopefully this next year will be filled with uh, not only better days, but even more blessing and uh, opportunity. And so in light of that, as we look forward to the new year, um, I've entitled this sermon, uh, Looking Forward to Something New. And we're looking at a passage here that I've visited many times. It's probably one of my uh, favorite passages because it's really full of hope. Um, this is a prophecy, right, by the Apostle John, uh, written to uh, the church that's really going through rough times, um, probably even rougher than what we're going through. And so this is actually a passage to encourage the church to, to persevere, uh, to be uh, a church that makes it to the end, um, and not just make it to the end, but make it with, with hope. And so this is a hope-filled passage. And one of the reasons I like this, to be very honest, is because sometimes as you hear this or as you read this, it, it sounds like, a, not to be very honest, it kind of sounds like a fairy tale, right? Where everything bad happened in the past, and now there's this promise and picture of everything now being not only just good and better, but perfect, perfect. Um, you know, where, as the verses were just read, no one's crying, no one's hurt, no one's getting sick, um, there's no one dying. And, and, and it's kind of sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? And I think when you look at this, we might think, feel that way, you know, because it's hard to imagine uh, something like this actually coming true, especially when we're going through something rough. But the question I want to ask you today is this, is it really is it really? Because I want to suggest that this is actually more real than you believe. And it's actually something what we desire more than we think. Okay. And the way I want to look at this is, is to kind of consider this way. If I had to look at Revelations, uh, which comes at the end of the Bible, um, I automatically compare it to Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible. Right. And so if Revelations uh, is about looking forward to something good, Genesis, the beginning is, is where everything kind of fell apart. And so you can think of it this way. If we look at this passage, I just want to kind of think of this way. Genesis is about brokenness. Right. Uh, that's where sin comes into the world. That's the picture of how things fell apart. It's about brokenness. And if that's true, if Genesis is about brokenness, then Revelations is about what I would say, wholeness, wholeness. And so what I want to look at then is look at Genesis and, and see what the brokenness was in order to appreciate the promise of wholeness that Revelation chapter 21 gives us, okay? And so you look at Genesis um, in the beginning and in basically I, I see four, four things that, that have been broken. 
right? And, and just go with this really quickly. When you look at Genesis and you see how the things fell apart, there are four areas in our lives that, that are, are broken. And even today, in a sense, is broken. The first is man himself within himself is broken. You know, remember in Genesis chapter three, after they after they after they uh, ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it says that the eyes of both of them were were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You remember that? It 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 was really a time of 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 shame and, and guilt, um, and how they viewed themselves, and so that's why they covered themselves, right? So there was a brokenness of of, of their perspective of who they are. Right? Can you imagine like a time where there will be no more shame, no more guilt or condemnation? And uh, when you have to cover yourself, it, it really means you, there's something wrong with you and how you view yourself. Uh, that you're not the best you. You're not who you could be, who you should have been. And so we see brokenness with man in himself, but not only within himself. In, in Genesis, in chapter three, verse twelve, we we see there's brokenness between ourselves, between men and man. You remember what Adam does when God calls him out, he blames the woman. He says, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. And uh, and the woman blames the serpent. Well, the serpent deceived me and so I ate it. And so here in the first time in Genesis chapter three, after, after the fall, you've got brokenness in relationships, right? You've got a brokenness in marriage. You got man, husband blaming his wife, wife blaming the husband back and forth and so on and so forth. And this is just a little picture of, of not just brokenness within ourselves, but brokenness between ourselves, not just between man and woman, but man and man, brother against brother, sister against sister, people against people. This is the reason why we have things like social conflict. This is the issues that we are dealing with today in terms of social injustice. This is why racism is there. It's a sin and, and it's brokenness. It's really a brokenness between people. So not only do we see brokenness between people, uh, but we also see brokenness between people and nature. You remember in Genesis three, after they sinned, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And so not only is there a brokenness we find within ourselves, not only is there a brokenness between ourselves, between people, but there's also brokenness between us and, and nature nature itself. Natural disasters are now there. Earthquakes, tornadoes, disease, diseases like COVID-19, hunger, political unrest. These are now areas of brokenness within nature itself, which oftentimes are out of our control. And so you see this brokenness there. And last but not least, and probably the most important, at least in the Bible, uh, not only is there brokenness in ourselves, and not only is there brokenness between ourselves, or brokenness between us and nature, but there's also brokenness between man and God himself, enmity with God. And so what happens is Adam and Eve, we read in Genesis chapter 3, that the God had banished them from the Garden of Eden, right, removed them from the presence of of this holy God, and he sets up this cherubim, this angel with a flaming sword, so they just couldn't go back in uh, to the presence of God. And so now there's a separation between man and God himself, right? There's a brokenness in relationship between man and God. 
because of sin. And so there you see it. There's, a, there's, there's what we have there in, in the beginning of the Bible. In the fall, all of man's relationships are shattered. There's shattered, it's shattered within himself, a human brokenness, we could say. It's shattered between ourselves, a social brokenness, we could say. And it's shattered between us and nature, a physical brokenness, right? And finally, last but not least, there's a brokenness in relationship with God, a theological brokenness, right? So we've got a human brokenness, we've got social brokenness, we've got physical brokenness, and now we've even got theological brokenness. And so I want to look at these, and I want to see then where we go from there to Revelation chapter 21, okay? And as we address some of these brokenness, here's what we see. What, what we see is what we really want, what we really desire from all of these things. For example, human brokenness. You know, oftentimes, you can tell um, where a person comes from by what they want, right? Or what they desire, or what they crave. So for example, I mean, if you're from Korea uh, and you live here in America, maybe there are times where you just crave kimchi or you crave rice. And, you know, oftentimes you can tell where you're from by what you crave, right? What, what you desire. And if you crave kimchi and rice, maybe you're probably from, from Korea. Maybe that's where you grew up. That's what you desire. But if you've ever experienced human brokenness, things, you know, like your guilt or shame, if you ever experienced condemnation or rejection, you and I, we don't really like that, do we? We don't, we don't appreciate that. And I think therefore we naturally desire Right? When we look at our own brokenness in, inward, inside of ourselves, we naturally desire just to be comfortable with ourselves. We, we desire to be accepted by others. Right? We desire to be the, the best me that I can be. And we naturally tend to admire those that we think are the best of humanity. Even in sports, for example, you know, you might play basketball, but when you watch LeBron James play basketball, right, you see excellence. You're naturally in awe, right, because he's probably the best of what we have. And therefore, we're created to be in desire. We're created to be in awe of what's better of what we could be and how we could be better. And the question you've got to ask is this, where does that desire come from, right? It's a human brokenness that we want more from. And you look at social brokenness or brokenness between people. We get upset when we feel that we've been wronged, don't we? Um, when we've been wronged, it, we feel that it's unjust, it's unfair. And if you take it to a broader scale, for example, we know racism is wrong. We know bigotry is bad. We know that the way some people treat others is far from the ideal, don't we? It's how people treat each other. And therefore, we naturally desire justice. We desire wrongs to be made right. We desire to be treated with and to believe in this basic human dignity and value for all people. But the question you've got to ask is this, where, where do we get that idea, right? The desire uh, to see that justice. Why do we get so upset when we've been wronged or when we experience wrong or when we see wrong being done out there in the world among people, right? That's the social brokenness that we want to address. And not only that, but let's think about the physical and the natural brokenness, right? Man between nature, even in nature, what we call natural disasters, things like tornadoes and hurricanes, earthquakes, famines, droughts, diseases like COVID-19. Um, in light of science, in light of biology, it's just natural. 
this natural phenomenon. That's all we could say. But no one ever says, hey, you know what? You know, the, the disease out there right now, the pandemic, it's just biology taking its course. People are going to fall away. And that's just the way it is. No one ever says that, right? No one's going to say that because it doesn't feel natural, no matter how natural it is. It wrecks homes. It displaces families. It even takes lives. And so no one just feels like it's just natural. It's just biology. We work hard to try and keep nature under control or at least try to keep up with nature. We want nature to work for us, not the other way around, right? And so might I suggest then, whether it's a desire for better human relationships, whether it's a desire to even see ourselves in a better light, or even a, a desire to see a better relation or control over our ever-changing environments, these desires just don't come out of nothing. Some years ago, for several years ago, in fact, uh, sociologist Peter Berger wrote a book called Rumors of Angels. And, uh, you know, he wasn't, I think, a, a Christian, but he was a sociologist. And he said this, he says, quote, the human propensity to believe that the world is ordered in a trustworthy way, the capacity to play, right, the capacity to hope in the face of death, the conviction that some things are just wrong and must be condemned and the capacity even to laugh. All these, Peter Berger says, are what he calls signals of transcendence. He says, quote, these are prototypical human gestures that aren't supported by evidence, they can't be justified intellectually, and they, yet they seem deeply characteristic of all human life. And so Peter Berger calls them these things signals of transcendence, that even in our so-called modern society, there are things in our life, in our thinking, that are like little flashes of light, which seem to want us to point to some reality that is more than just what we see here and now, a transcendent one. And so perhaps what we desire from things in us, what we desire from things in the relationships around us, what we desire from our society and from the world, and even from nature, these things maybe are like signals of transcendence. Maybe they tell us something, that what we desire, what we expect from things ultimately tells us what we were made for, where we really belong. That in the world and as we live in it, as good as it can get, oftentimes it's just not good enough. If anything that the pandemic has taught us this year is that the world in all its advancement still, still isn't as it should be. That we still shouldn't ha be having to deal with a preventable disease. That we still shouldn't have to be dealing with things like racism and bigotry. That we still shouldn't have to worry about how to eat and that people shouldn't have to worry about the safety of their children. That still certain people that, you know, still shouldn't be leaders of our country. And so we try, we try really hard to make the best of it, to have, you know, our, our best life now. All the while wondering, what would it be like if no one got angry? What would it be like if, if no one got jealous or depressed or sad, what would the world be like if no one fought? What would things in our lives be like if no one got sick and, and no one got hurt? What would it be like if no one died? If no one died? 
It's like that famous John Lennon song, uh, Imagine, where he says in part of the song, imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you will join us and the world will be as one. Even John Lennon knew the world as it should be. And so now you know then why in the Bible, when you look at prophets like John in the book of Revelations, they constantly spoke of a day when things don't break down anymore, where things don't get old anymore, where, where there was this longing for something more, something better than just what we have right now. And the Bible's answer then, addressing this brokenness, it doesn't address first uh, the brokenness within ourselves, human brokenness. It doesn't address first the brokenness between people, a social brokenness, or even between people and nature, that physical brokenness. But it first addresses the brokenness between people and God, the theological brokenness that he is our God and we are his people, that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God now with us to remove our sin, to remove the weakness, the barriers that keep us from him. He heals man's relationship first with himself to save sinners and to bring them closer to himself. That's what God addresses first before anything else. And God sends his son into this broken world. Yes, to save us. But more importantly, what you see in Revelations 21 is this. Not just to save us from our sin, but to make us whole. To make us whole. To make us as we were meant to be. To promise us to make us the best us. And to bring us into a situation where there is no more brokenness, whether in us, between us, or even around us in nature. A complete promise of wholeness. That's what Revelation 21 is talking about. And it's what the Old Testament called shalom or peace. When they said peace or shalom, it wasn't just, hey, no more fighting. It was a sense of wholeness of how things are meant to be. And in our passage, we see here the prophecy that John says that Jesus says on the throne now, he says, I am making everything new. And what he's promising is that I am making everything whole. And so here... It's not just to give us a kind of fairy tale, but it's to give us what we know that we've always wanted, what we are still looking for here in this world, but yet we always come short. And there's a reason for that, isn't there? It's because ultimately, no matter how much we're looking for in this world, this place is just not our final home. It's broken. It needs to be addressed. But it's not our final home. It's built into the system, so, so forth. And that's why our church is called Sojourner, because we are now traveling through our home onto our final destination. But here's what point, and I think C.S. Lewis puts it most eloquently in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this, quote, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And what he's basically saying is that the fact that our heart still yearns for something that, to be honest, earth can't supply is proof that heaven, 
must be our home. The heaven must be our home. And in order to make that promise true, you remember the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what Jesus says. This is my body, which was what? Broken for you. Broken for you. You see, the irony here is that in order for Jesus to make things new, to, to give us new, right, to promise us a wholeness, he himself first had to be broken, that he had to die, pay a price for the sin and the brokenness that was there from the very beginning in order to promise us a destiny that people around the world so desperately want but can only imagine. And so John is telling his people here in the midst of their struggle, trust in him. Look forward to hope. Trust in the promises that he makes. Endure. Believe not just in him, but believe him. Believe what he says when he says, I'm making all things new. A place where there is no more tears, human brokenness. A place where there is no more death, natural brokenness. A place where God will dwell with his people and be their God. Theological brokenness, all done, all done and all finished. And he's encouraging them, and the Bible is encouraging us, even now, no matter what situation, as hard as it is in this year, in this last week of this year, live like you have that hope right now. Hope in that even now. Because when you do, not only will it help you kind of get through the day, it will help you to also be a source of hope and encouragement for others. A light, if you will, in a world that sometimes feels like it's always falling apart. Now, I know for many of us, it's not natural to think this way, you know, think heaven or think heavenly thoughts. Maybe it's a little bit too um, surreal for us. I don't know what it is. And trying to live this way is not easy. That, that's certainly true. It takes a certain amount of faith. And there are some of us here who always want to see the glass half empty rather than half full. And so it's hard to live with, with the hope of heaven when you're always faced with the problems of earth, right? When you're living with decay, when you're always face-to-face -face experiencing brokenness, disintegration, what it seems like sometimes nothing good ever, ever stays good. Maybe, I don't know, maybe your health, you feel is deteriorating. Maybe you're experiencing struggle in your marriage or in your parenting. Maybe your children have been extremely difficult this past year. Maybe you've had loved ones who've, who've gotten sick or, or worse, you've lost those you loved. Maybe your work feels like it's a never ending downward spiral. Or maybe for some of us, it's your lack of work and your fear of finding work to sustain you. Maybe just you feel people around you are just nasty. And you hear in the news all around that there only seems to be sometimes just bad things happening all the time. And maybe though a new year is coming, you still feel like the old you. You're still struggling with the same issues, the same problems, the same weaknesses, even the same sins. And for some of us, you're also struggling with new sins, new issues new difficulties that you've just discovered. 
Maybe you feel like at times you're just stuck in a rut and you just can't get out. And so it's very hard for you to have a perspective of hope and promise that lies for you. And if that's you, and if that's us today, then here to read Revelation chapter 21 again. Read it carefully. Not only does it promise hope, but it also promises that it's not going to be easy to get there. It's never going to be easy. In verse 7, he says this, To the one who conquers... I will give this heritage, I will be his God, and he will be my son. Notice the word that he used, to the one who conquers. Conquer, that word is fighting, fighting words. Those words are fighting words. John uses that word and because he knows he's not a dreamer, he's a realist. He knows that you're going to have more obstacles. He knows you've got battles in your life that you still got to face. He knows there's hurdles and things in this world that you need to get over. He knows that life can be a struggle. Even in 2020, even in the pandemic, he knows it's going to be hard to continue to persevere. And who knows in 2021, even as we hope for a better year, who knows what things might happen in 2021. John knows, Revelation 21 knows that life can get hard. It can be difficult. That life can feel like a daily battle for many of us. And what's the point? In any battle, right, in any war, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be struggles along the way. But you've got to conquer. You've got to fight. You've got to work against the grain. You need to fight with faith. You know, in verse 8, in the last verse of our passage that was read, there are a lot of, uh, there's a description of a lot of types of people that may not make it to the very end, right? Uh, Some of them are very bad, you know, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the detestable, all these kinds of people that somehow they've given up. They've given up persevering and fighting. But you know, in verse eight, one of the very first types of people that he mentions, the very first characteristic he mentions are not the idolaters or the sorcerers or the liars. What's the very first word that he mentions? The very first kind of people. He says, it's the cowardly. It's the cowardly, right? And the question is this, why is the cowardly the first type of people that he mentions that somehow for some reason don't make it to the very end? Why the cowardly first? And the reason is this, that in a battle, in a war, right? The last kind of person you want in your army or on your side is a coward. Someone who runs, someone who just gives up. Someone who just doesn't want to fight anymore. John is saying this, even as we finish this year out, no matter how difficult it's been, you've got to overcome. You've got to fight. You've got to persevere and trust in him. I hope many blessings come your way, but for sure, 2021, there probably will be more issues, more problems. Some of them old, some of them new. We just don't know what the troubles will be or what the answers always are. But I want you to know this. In this world, what else did you expect? What else did you expect? Because after all, Jesus himself said this in John chapter 16. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world.
Have courage. Don't be afraid. Don't give up hope. Don't, don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing, but look forward to him, to the one who says, I am making everything new, and he's begun already, even now, where we are. Thank him for every good thing you have. Trust him for everything else and what he's going to do with the rest. You and I, we can look forward to hope. We can look forward to better things, that things won't always stay bad. That things can and, and, and will be better, not just here and now, but now and forevermore. And so we're called then to hang on to our faith, to persevere in Christ, who has persevered for us. Okay? And the last thing that I want to give you with that, as we are given hope, is that is this. If you understand this, if you know this in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what you're struggling for or with, you can also not just receive hope, you can be a person of hope. Be a person of hope. Um, you know, again, this is, I think this is what C.S. Lewis once said. He says, quote, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. This is what he's saying, and it's the same thing what Jesus is saying, that even as we are living here, looking for hope in this world, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Not only do we receive hope, but because we've received hope, we're called to be a person of hope. Be a person of hope in the midst, even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the amongst our brokenness, because we have this hope. And so as a person of hope, it basically means that you and I, we can't ignore the other brokenness, not just spiritual ones, but the physical ones and the social ones. You can be a person of hope because you've been given hope. You can care for what's going on around you and, and for the people in your lives because you've been cared for. You can show mercy to those who are in need of mercy. Why? Because you've been showed mercy. In other words, as we struggle in through this year and as we struggle in our own lives, as we understand and try and grasp this hope by faith in Jesus Christ, what John is telling us to do is this. We can show that hope. We can show that Jesus Christ to other people who really need to see it and to hear it. Why? Because you've seen him yourself. We can give others a taste of heaven as we address the brokenness around us as we pray for those who are struggling, as we feed those who are hungry, as we visit those who are lonely, as we encourage and speak to those who are in need of encouragement, we can be that person of hope, not just the end of this year, but throughout our whole lives and into the next. And so I wanna encourage us today, as we look forward to celebrating New Year, that we look forward to celebrating with hope. No matter how difficult it's been, we hope not just for something better right now, not just something for something temporary, but we hope in something that lasts. And every new year is a promise and a reminder that there is new to come, 
a kind of new where no one can take away, where no one gets hurt, where no one will get sick, a kind of newness where there's hope that is everlasting. And as people who understand this by faith, help us and let us be that kind of person to somebody else who is desperately in need of hearing and being encouraged by that kind of hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much 